Creative Brain Candy by creators for creators. People that like bourbon and don't like scotch, it just, that logic makes no sense. <laughs> Dude, it's, that logic seriously makes no sense to me. In that they like the they like something that clearly has bite, but they don't like something that has a little more going for it than sweet. Yeah, exactly. So like people that categorize scotch as like briny or smoky, it's like, dude, one, if you don't like the smoky stuff, you're a wimp. Yeah. And there's no other rational explanation for that. And two, scotch has such a wide range of character flavor characteristics. Oh yeah, they play around a little bit. Oh yeah, dude. They, unlike Russia, knows how to play ball. <laughs> Fair but true. Right. Well, let's oh, get, should we get, let's get started? Cracking. Let's get cracking, bro. Did you know that over $5 trillion exchanges hands on a daily basis? That's an average of over $220 billion an hour. Now, how does this much money move every single day, and why does it move the way it does? Here on Drunkonomics, two bartenders, who also happen to be students at the University of Nebraska Graduate School of Business, are going to sit down and drink to the global economy, and try and translate it into English. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a stiff one, and have a drink with us to the comedy that is the global economy. Right, welcome back to Drunkonomics, folks. It's been an exciting weekend for us, too, so we're recording a little late. Yeah, I hope you, I hope, I hope you didn't catch what I caught. Uh, not coronavirus, so... We can all just enjoy that. I'm kind of glad that we didn't have to record on Friday, though, because it allowed this whole weekend to go down. Yeah. And Gosh. Aaron and I have been uh, texting with a lot of frequency, even urgency, there, Sunday and today. Yeah, so. basically, there's been a pissing contest, a geopolitical pissing contest. So hopefully you didn't get caught up in it, or yeah. if you did, you were wearing a raincoat. Yeah, literally, because... <laughs> uh, Oh my gosh, man. Yeah, I feel like I need some waiters to deal with the shit we're have to walk through today. Well, for you personally, because, you know, there was a little coronavirus scare for you because <laughs> you were in a coma on Friday. Yeah. I sent Aaron a text saying, I'm not going to be able to record my voices shot. And then I didn't talk to him for the next eight hours because yes, I was asleep. All the while, I was sitting in the car, driving up to Minnesota to see my good old high school buddy, Lorenzo. Lorenzo, thanks for the weekend, man. That was a lot of fun. Also, Pete and Loopy, good to see you. Thanks for the market rebellion hat. I really appreciate it. Thanks for, for putting up with them. That too. But I love you guys very much. Thanks for the Michter's gear too. Yeah, we're going to say that Michter's fueled a little bit of this episode just because, I'll be honest, we have a bottle here and it's fucking delicious. Yeah. And uh, before we really get started, I want to do another proper shout out to our number one fan, my man Tim and Aussie, man. How you going? Good on you, mate. Seriously, I, I feel bad because last week or last episode... I didn't give you – I cut off the shout-out because I wanted to talk about our creative brain candy thing. It's also exciting news for us. But Yes. So it's having, so having a dedicated fan willing to reach out to us from tomorrow, really. Yeah, exactly. And I appreciate your support on Facebook, man. Seriously. I don't know. One of these days we might start doing merch or whatever. Like, send us your address, man. We'll send you a hoodie. As soon as whatever. we got them, we're going to send one out. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're a little restricted on capacities. And, yeah, give us time. Yes. We, you know, you know, maybe for Christmas. Like start. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Think about it along those lines. But yeah. Um, yeah, this is always an awkward segue into actually what we're going to talk about, but dude, okay. So yeah, what I really wanted to talk about today was, uh, I don't even know where to begin because we already had this conversation literally an hour ago. Let's start with that circuit breaker. I think it's a cool idea because we see it actually works. Okay. Because yeah, remember it, did, yes. it didn't in 2000, I want to say 11 or nine. There was, there was a time where there was a massive one day crash because the circuit breakers didn't, didn't break. Right. Yeah. So real quick, just talk about the function of the circuit breaker and why, why it's in there so, and why it's actually a good thing. Okay. So circuit breakers exist in the markets now tied to the S&P 500, which essentially operated, I believe it's 713 and 20% thresholds. 
if uh, the S&P declines by 7%, trading is suspended for 15 minutes. It's a moment to give, I would imagine, the algorithms a time to either recalculate or to stop selling. Uh, gives people a chance to calm down, take a breather, reassess what's going on, maybe realize there's some upside. Um, so then we get to 13%. At 13%, if the S&P is down 13%, before 325 Eastern time, then there's another 15-minute breather. If it's after that, they just go till close. And if the S&P declines by a total of 20% in a day, so trading is suspended for the rest of the day So, uh, so on, all the, on, all the, on the entire exchange. So what happens the next day? If it, if it hits 20%, if it's that threshold, what happens the next I day? I imagine the circuit breakers reset with the new percentage. With the, with the with the same oh, with, percentages, with, but in the new market. Okay, so the so the new bottom denominator is what it's currently at. Number of points required to shift that right. would change. Okay, so but it's 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 an ability for the market to not crash absolutely based on panic, a uh, a machine error, algorithms running wild. Yeah, but anymore today, so many algo traders react to all these news headlines or all these global panics. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what algorithms are set at anymore. I don't know. Well, what... there's got to be an upper and a lower buy and sell. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's target price in a simplistic I'm... sense. Yeah. So in my, from what I know, and it's 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 a very limited knowledge on algo traders because I don't know anything about algo traders. It's all that's HFT, all that's way over my head. Mm-hmm. But from what I've understood about it, they react to news headlines. They react to what Buffett does. They react to interest rates. They react to what, what the president is saying. They react to all that kind of stuff. But they also have target prices. Sure. So you know, like like, like if you take a look at today. For instance, oil futures are going back up after we saw literally the worst day in oil history. It wasn't ideal. Right? Not, I mean, that. not in oil history, but worst, worst day, day since ninety one. Well, you get yeah, you got um. Well, the uh, the Russians are unhappy with the United States with sanctions on I don't say Rosneft, but uh, the Saudis took the bait. It would seem, and they've responded by lowering their uh, lowering their sales price and increasing production to flood the market. Yeah, it, my what, what has really been frustrating to me lately, and, and and it really shouldn't frustrate me because it's on my level, it's actually benefiting me. But on a global level, on a global macroeconomic level. What is really frustrating to me is this geopolitical pissing war over oil, which, you know, I did a lot of research today and I had no idea how much of a weapon oil is. It, it, it oh, is yeah. like, to me, it's the ultimate geopolitical weapon. I mean, think about all the wars that have been fought over It's oil. always going to be resource-based. So you can't fight a war, you know, the yeah, which, which Roman it was, but sinews of war are infinite money. Yeah. Um, if you don't have, you know, that, that's true, you need money. But more importantly, you need to be able to fuel your military because infantry is useless when you've got tanks and airplanes. So you have this fuel. And, and then on top of that, oil is also in lubricants. It's the, it's the lifeblood of industry. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's basically, it's a really versatile product. And Absolutely. We built we built our society on oil. Yeah, so if there was a title for this episode, I don't even know what it would be like I would almost name it after that that movie, that Paul Thomas Anderson movie with Dan Day Lewis, There Will Be Blood. Like that, <laughs> that that would be a perfect name for this episode. There will be blood. I was gonna say the circuits broke, but okay. Let's go with <laughs> Dude. One of these. Okay, because if you're still with us, if you if you've made it past the world's end this last weekend, if you're still with yeah, us, if, if if there's an episode, if there's a world to listen to this episode come this weekend, yeah, yes, by Wednesday, if you guys are still with us, first of all, congratulations for making it this far, and we appreciate you, yes, and we appreciate you for downloading this episode or whatever it is. But uh, if you didn't know what happened this weekend, if you don't understand how vital of a commodity oil is, this last weekend, essentially what happened was there's an OPEC plus meeting. Was it on Sunday? Sunday. Right. So Sunday, there was an OPEC Plus meeting. OPEC Plus basically means all the OPEC nations, which is, what, 17 different countries or 11 different countries or something like that. The OPEC cartel. Yeah, the OPEC cartel, which is responsible for producing about 44% of the world's oil. And they also, very important to know, the OPEC countries control around 82% of the world's oil reserves. 
That is a massive amount. Okay. Yeah. So they had a meeting with all these other countries like Russia, Russia the, the United the, States, the, U- the U.S., exactly. All these other oil producers. So o- the OPEC countries plus other oil producers of the world. And because of the slowing demand for oil because of the coronavirus and what whatnot. Well, generally just lower CapEx, slowing production in China. Yeah, it's not just one thing. It's it's conglomeration <coughs> of factors that are coming together to show a, sl- a slowing demand. So because of the slowing demand for oil, OPEC was like – Look, guys, we need to cut production by a million barrels a day, which if you really think about it, a million barrels a day is not, it's a pretty significant reduction in oil supply. But to help you bring back the context of how much a million barrels a day is, the U.S. produces about 15 million barrels a day. They're responsible for like maybe 20% of the world's production. I, I wouldn't know off the top of my head. I think it is. I don't know for sure. Granted, all this- I would say that if we if we consider it this way, Saudi Arabia is one of the world's major producers and they can produce at capacity 12.5 million barrels. Yes, so they're, so they're the second so, largest oil production country. So a million, a, million barrels, a million barrels would be a significant sum, but in the grand scheme of everyone producing an insignificant amount per country. Yeah, so long, long story short, this is a long way of me summarizing what happened at the meeting. So the OPEC countries wanted to reduce oil production by a million barrels a day. Russia didn't want to play ball. Russia said, fuck that. Short answer. Yes, that's what they said. Actually, what, what Russia said was pashol nahui, but Russian, I think last time I heard was for fuck yourself. But <laughs> So we'll just say, oh we'll, just God, say the Russian, we'll just say the Russian, we'll just say that OPEC was in broad strokes of the deal. We're on board with it. Uh, Russia stood up, said pashol nahui, and Saudi Arabia went, fair enough. We're going to lower prices, increase production to grab so, market shares. Why yes, they did. So ultimately what that trickles down to is all these energy companies, the entire energy sector is now, especially. Especially in the U.S. because, fact check this, but in the U.S. it costs about $50 to produce one barrel of oil. And if you've been paying attention to the Brent crude, Brent crude is pretty much like the price so index. So the shale break-even price is $50. Oh, the shale break-even price is $50? Yep. U.S. US producers need $50 per barrel. Okay, yeah. So there you go. So if you look at the WTI index, which is sitting at around, last I checked, it was sitting around 30. Well, why, what's it at right now? Sorry, I just see that... Um the Dow futures are up 900 on the Trump payroll tax cut. I don't know how he's going to get payroll tax to cut through Congress. Okay, uh, we'll, 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 we'll table a, that. That's a problem for a different. We'll day. table that and say that for 15 minutes later. Uh, ultimately, what I'm trying to say is, and this is, I'm sorry, it's, it, I'm sorry, it's taking me so long to get here. But OPEC countries want to cut production. Oil right now is at 33 and a half. Or WTI. That's just, that's just just oil in general. So let's see what okay. we're. So that's WTI crude 33.58 up 8 percent. It's not where it needs to be for U.S. break-even. Yeah, so basically the U.S. right now is really far from break-even. If you paid attention to any of the energy sectors, all the energy companies went dropped like 30% today. So BP was down 24%, so it's it's sector-wide. Yeah, it's sector-wide. This low, this geopolitical pissing contest is really – it's trickling down right in the energy sector. Basically what we have is a slowing demand, and it's going to slow down even more because the coronavirus is still there's, – there's no real containment for the coronavirus yet. Yeah, less we still people, haven't reached peak Right, exactly. Here. So less people are traveling. Less people are buying things. Which, are making major expenses. Are, are making major purchases, we should say. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're, people but, aren't buying new houses. People aren't buying new boats, buying new cars unless they have to. Well, I should say declining demand is hitting the air transportation. So at the same time as they're getting cheaper fuel, they still have empty yeah, planes. They still I, have either, empty cruise I, ships. Either way, there's a complete imbalance. Th- these oil companies are, are now even further away from breaking even. Oh, yeah. They're in, and they're in really bad shape. Yeah, they're in really bad shape. And this whole agreement to lower the production of oil 
it doesn't work unless everybody's on board. You it's know how cartels operate. Everyone has to be on board, or, or someone's right. making so like too much money. So like if if you look at this last last weekend's OPEC meeting, there are three major players at the table, right? There's the, the OPEC, the OPEC nations, yeah, yeah. There's them. There's Russia, and then there's the U.S. There's the U.S. It's and three big players at the table. Yeah. Yes, there's the three big players at the table. And Russia has by far and beyond the best hand. They do. It's not even close. As, <laughs> in terms of the way their industry is set up, yes. Yes, and, and in terms of that and... If we look at it from the perspective of the fact, or in the perspective that the majority, specifically Saudi Arabia when we speak about this, a lot of these OPEC nations don't necessarily have very diversified economies. They're very much frontier states based on oil. The U.S. oil natural gas industry has been funding a lot of expansion based on higher oil prices, historically higher oil prices, and then... They've funded a lot of their expansion and their uh, exp- and their oil explorations using bonds. So using debt instead, so using commercial script as oh, opposed great. to yeah. taking loans or in- instead of uh, raising equity. In that respect, they've been issuing script, and a lot of that script is starting to come due in twenty twenty one. So it's next year, twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two, when that comes due. And if they can't, if if the price of oil doesn't go up. They could be in very serious financial trouble. Yeah, then. these guys won't be able to afford to pay back their they, debt they, won't, they will not be able to make good on their uh, on their script. And then if they're forced into default and they're forced into uh, bankruptcy, the value of oil will be down. So they've they've secured they've secured a lot. They've used as security against these bonds their own stockpiles of oil or or their own oil reserves. The problem being. If it's devalued by overproduction, the the security is worthless, right? Yeah, it's, so it's, because of the, the the falling demand and the oversupply, that's the reason why we're seeing this drastic downturn, like the WTI index. The because uh, yeah, the because the underlying product is is now ex- exceedingly cheap. Yeah, it, there's, so there's going to be a lot of it. There's product being produced. It, it, there's they're increasing production at a time of decreasing demand, and right, it's exactly. Yeah. It's, but oil prices need to be stabilized. They need to be stabilized unless we can all find a way to go in our backyard and find our own oil and, 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 and refine our own and oil. refine our oil. Like I know that if you're pumping your gas, like yes, you would love to see yeah cheaper you, oil prices. Yeah, you would love to see. Of course, like who doesn't want to see that? But at the same time, it's like, dude, unless we can all find a way to pump our own oil, we need oil prices to stabilize. Yeah, we, we're going to see a, a boomerang effect. Oh my god! Yeah. If you suddenly stop producing and then and then. The Russians said today or tonight, as we were watching the European uh, oh squawk box, yeah, they said that they're prepared for low oil prices for the next six to ten years, which is possible. It, it, it's kind of a shock given the position they were in. Was it a year or two ago when oil prices went down? <laughs> they were very, very poor shape. Oh my god! Uh, well, so I, you know, is it possible? Yeah, sure. Is it desirable for them? I would think not. The interesting thing for me would be to see. I wonder if this is just if this is just Russia posturing to see Dude. how Saudi Aramco deals with being a publicly yeah, traded well, company. To me, there's still, there's still so many other geopolitical factors at play because well, of course. Russia is still pissed off that we placed an embargo. Sanction. Uh, sorry, we placed a on, sanction. On, on Rosneft. Okay. R-O-S-N-E-F-T. So, who, who so is Rosneft that? is the Russian, uh, see, they are, ah, they're Russia's state oil company. It's planning to lift oil production as soon as the current OPEC plus deal ends. And that was March 9th. They don't care. So the current deal ends April 1st. That's why they've said something now. They have 21 days to broker a deal, essentially. Wait, so this, this sanction ends? No, the current OPEC deal, the current OPEC production amounts that everyone's agreed to and will abide by lasts right, until April gotcha. 1st. Okay. And this new deal was meant to go on from April 1st. So 
uh, it would seem that Rosneft has said, no, they're going to produce. They won't make the deal. They're going to keep producing. Okay, so in case you're sitting back there listening to our podcast for some reason and you're thinking, what can we possibly, what can the U.S. possibly do about this to stabilize oil prices? Well, let me tell you this. To stabilize prices, the U.S. can do one of two things. They can either have the government come in and somehow drive up the demand for oil, or they can completely cut back oil production. All the U.S. companies can cut back on oil sure. production, which good luck doing well, I that. I think they have to. I think, I think you're looking at a lot of these... Yeah. A lot of these companies, I don't want to say cut back on production totally. It just hurts so much to hear and to to also know know it's true. But but. to be responsible, they need to at the very least stop exploration drilling and any unnecessary expenses in that respect because they really can't be expanding production right now. But what happens if the the U.S. does that? Russia wins. Well, if they're – if – you can – a private company or a a privatized industry like – the U.S. oil natural gas one is, can't beat a state-owned entity like Rosneft. They, they couldn't do it. They can have better technology and all that, but okay, if... Okay, but, well, if okay, they, but when you have a company that's being propped up by public dollars... Yeah, but even if they weren't profitable, if, if the Russian oil production company wasn't profitable, they, they can't... There's no way the government can keep going? feeding that beast. Well, yes, know? they can. I know, but it, but it wouldn't make sense for them to. No, it's not a rational actor. You're absolutely right. Rosneft is not being a rational actor yeah, so, for a uh, company... Yeah, so, but it's being a rational actor as an entity of the Russian government and therefore Russian foreign policy. Russia. So this isn't this is a, these aren't the behaviors of a company. These are the right, behaviors right. of a government institution. Yeah, but, but all this is making me wonder: What can the U.S. do to play ball? There's nothing we can do. Oh, if there we, there are a few market things we can do. Like what? Well, we were talking earlier. So if you're looking at a time of increased market volatility, and I realize a lot of these bonds are junk bonds, are slightly better rated. Uh, <laughs> are in times about the, oil, ex- the oil junk bonds. I am talking about the oil junk bonds. If you're willing to take a long-term stake, a long-term view, if you're one of these companies, you might potentially come out and make a new issuance, maybe a five or ten-year callable bond. Call about three years, call something like that. Three, probably three and five, maybe three, five, and seven. If it's a five-year bond, callable in three or four, and then you Even use so like. Good luck doing that. Well, yeah, good luck getting buyers. I agree. Uh, you issue those bonds. You try and raise the script to pay off your near-term bonds. Uh, and then maybe you can delay this problem out of 2021. You can push this into 2023, 2024. And if you can do that, you buy yourself breathing time. And that puts more pressure on Rosneft and Russia because now they're not suddenly... Really. Well, yeah, it does. They find they have six to ten years. But at the same time, if you're running at a loss for a year before you break your opposition... It's a lot easier to be able to justify that to your people than saying, yeah, it's going to take all six to but ten. I still don't think it would help them very much because ultimately what you're doing is you're issuing debt. So you're leveraging a bunch of your assets that already aren't making you money, okay. right? So you're leveraging there's your assets. There's a few theoretical other arguments that could be made. Such I wouldn't. Uh, there's a national security argument for protecting the oil industry in the United States, which is to say that we can't allow our defense to become dependent on foreign oil or the actions of a foreign oil nations to destroy our own internal industry. That being said, I don't know if it. Still, I don't know if it necessarily works. But again, if you're if you're if you're thinking in the long term and you're willing to say, fine, these fields are useless for us now. These shale fields are useless for us now. Fine, maybe they're useless to us for 20 years. But the oil's still there. It will the value will return. The problem becomes what you do when there are tens or hundreds of thousands of people unemployed and these once profitable industries and areas dry up. So yeah, the, the problems yes, exist because you have a, a once really really reliable sector. Source, yeah. Yes, you have this commodity in which investors and, if you will, stakeholders in this sector that are yeah. all 
literally getting shafted. Yeah, you have a lot of stakeholders who are going to get hurt. I don't deny that. That happens no matter what. I know it does, but they get fine. Are you grabbing another drink? I'm another drink. Yeah, see, shiny boy. No, so you're right. It does hurt, and there are going to be a lot of stakeholders and people hurt by this. When I say like, yeah, that's going to happen, I'm not trying to write off the fact that it's. I think it's inevitable. Someone's going to get hurt at this point, no matter what. And and there's nothing the U.S. can do to to really make them. There's nothing they can do to make themselves independent of the oil prices that have been affected by. The rest of the the entire we, world we, that produces it's a oil. question at this point of moral hazard, which is why right, did these yeah. companies get to have privatized gain, and then when the economic cycle changes, they get to pri- or they, I'm sorry that they get to privatize their gain, and then when the world cycle changes, they get to publicize their loss. They get to socialize that loss, and it's not fair. And people are going to get hurt. But this is the this is the price you pay. For lack of better terms, a free market. Even though, even yeah, though, but- and the and the worst part is, and we both agree on this, Rosneft is not a rational actor. It's not a free company. It's it's not behaving logically. It is behaving as an arm of a government. It's behaving as a government entity because it is one. It's not a private. Yeah, so if company. this so. If if this situation, if you will, goes on for I don't know, there like is six another eight months. I guess there's a nuclear alternative. And okay, yeah, exactly. So and which I, is and to I, say, I, which is to say, you embargo Russian oil. You can do that. Okay, I don't think they will because we have no room to play ball. We can't do that. I mean, I would say it's a very drastic option, and it, Dude, it creates very other. It creates some other very serious because, issues. Well, run Russia is a lot less dependent on foreign oil, but they're just well, less they're not dependent at all. Yeah, well, they're not that dependent on oil in general compared to well, they, pr- they produce their own exactly. Yeah. So like they. And their own natural gas. They're not there, but, but Russia's in a unique position of being able to threaten Eastern Europe and Western Europe. One with military force, but I don't think it'll come to that. What no, I mean is, no. they they are the producers of the oil and natural gas into those parts of the world. Right now, and then, you if, have the U- and then you have the U.S. that imports 300 million barrels of oil every single month, well, which like really that. is not that much. But you know, no. But what we what people kind of ignore with that is that yeah, it's imported here, but it's imported here because the refineries are here. <laughs> Some of that gets imported here, refined, and then sent back out. It's yeah, but there's but 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 there's still a cost for that transaction. It's a cost so, for every transaction. There you go. So that's what I mean is our refineries are still dependent on doing business with foreign countries that bring their oil here to get refined here. Mm-hmm. And if Absolutely. all of a sudden there's less incentive to do that because of what we're seeing. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, no, like, I, well, I think I think this is a very serious issue. Like I said, I think it's a this is a test. It's a test of how long can Saudi Aramco, a now publicly traded company, operate at a loss? Okay, so what are the geopolitical tensions between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia? Because well, we, Saudi... What? Tensions are... Well, there's a few. Uh, finish your question. We'll, we'll. Okay, well, I, I want to preface that question by saying one of or one of OPEC's biggest customers for oil is the United States and yes. the United States military. I don't know well, why I'm, I don't know why I'm, States. I don't know why I'm categorizing in two different No, let's just call, let's just say the United States. Yes, let's just say the United States. We're, we're one of the biggest. It doesn't matter customers. where it goes, it's us. Yes, it's the US. So what what exactly is their beef with us and why like, I don't I don't think this is Saudi I don't I think Saudi Arabia is responding to Russia directly and we're playing, just collateral damage. Yeah, but they're also kind of playing are, are they playing ball with Russia? No. They're trying to get in they're trying to expand market share. So that they can be in a good position in a slowing China, which is, you know, an interesting choice because China and Russia just built the pipelines and made some agreements for the next 30 years on, on oil prices and other things. So it's, 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 a, it's a move to, to kind of stabilize their, their own economy. 
And of course, self-interest governs all, so they should protect themselves. By them protecting themselves, they're also kind yes, of but, but 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 they can't do anything right now. Self-interest. Okay, so so what's so what's what's their tie with Russia? Why are they listening to Russia? They're not listening to Russia. They're responding to Russia. So because Russia says they're not gonna, they're not gonna Russia scale says they, back. Russia says production? they won't. So Russia says they won't comply, won't scale back, and Saudi Arabia says fine, we'll flood the market. It, it's an attempt to hurt Russia yeah, a but, little bit. Well, Russia but, but, said but, but, they're but, fine but, for six to ten years, but okay. we'll see if they are. Yeah, well, when you have when you have socialized oil or more socialized oil than Saudi Arabia, and not to mention, if we get shafted, Saudi Arabia also we have the buying power against Saudi Arabia. We certainly they certainly have a less diverse economy. They they they're doing oh, their yeah. oh, Saudi Arabia is well, doing course, its best. Yeah. Saudi Arabia is doing its best, but they are a one horse system. There they have yeah. oil, and that's really kind. They have oil, and then I guess they have the fact that they're a, a relatively liberal. I mean, I say relatively liberal for the middle. No, that's not. Well, even you know, fair. you want to know something crazy? What, so, you want to know something else? I saw today. I'm, I'm all ears. Looking at my notes right now. I'm all ears. So, I like this. I like taking notes. Let's do this. Yes, dude. I, I need to start doing this more often because you know I'm not very smart, and this is making me sound smarter. <laughs> I know. Thank you. The fact that you laugh at that means that it's true. I'm very dumb. But we'll always keep notes, especially for stats and figures. Yes, exactly. So Goldman, I saw a headline said oil could plunge another forty three percent. Forty three, yes, forty three percent. I think that's a worst case scenario. That is, a, I feel like that is a worst case scenario because I, that's. I don't even know how. But that's. I feel like that's in a situation in which Russia plays hardball for another six months. Well, oil, U.S. oil production doesn't slow down because. They somehow found financing through one of these banks or whatever. Well, and that's so that's a very interesting thing. I don't know if isn't it? Well, the well the right. Fed gave, the Fed gave that guidance to banks today, and they said, "Oh yeah, there's, the, oh, yeah, there's, to, there's a thing called the Fed yeah. that we have to have to worry about too." We haven't talked about them yet. <laughs> well, they well they gave they issued guidance today. They they informed banks that they need to I forget how they worded it exactly, but it was they need to assist yeah, need customers, to, per, persons, and, and companies affected by the coronavirus. Right now, and, while and, this isn't the coronavirus, I suppose theoretically the a very it's a this is a very windy. Slippery slope argument, but you could argue that the Chinese slowdown is because of coronavirus, and so therefore the companies in the oil, I guess, tangentially affected by coronavirus. Yeah, and I think the word that they specifically used was provide relief. It was relief. You're absolutely relief. right. Thank you, Aaron. You're welcome. So now we're seeing, and that's exactly what you'd need to do for, I guess, the oil. But now industry. what we're seeing is this energy sector is plummeting. Well, okay. I mean, no, they're plummeting. It's, 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 it's up eight percent, right? It's up seven point nine right now. Okay, okay, but, but okay. So forget the, forget the futures right now. Forget the forget, forget the futures because fair enough. I feel like they were down at close. Yeah, forget the futures right now because I feel like that's the algo traders sweeping in. But and I also feel like tomorrow we're going to see another downward well, stroke. No, tomorrow. I if you want if you want my honest opinion, what I think is going to happen tomorrow, and I'm and I'm probably way out, way wrong on this, but I think tomorrow we're going to see. An upswing, I open, a downswing, and then another upswing, okay. and another downswing. Okay, here's what I'll say. If we see an upswing at open, and we probably will because futures are already up, I think it's a dead cat yes. bounce, and things are going to keep going okay. down. And well, I say that because this is a response to – futures are up because of a response to Trump floating a payroll tax cut, which will do nothing – It will okay, it will put more money in some Americans' pockets, in most Americans' – well, everyone who's working's pockets, theoretically. This is like – But it's – I think all it does in the long run – and in the end, is that it increases the uh, national debt, increases well, the deficit. This is, well, this is like a football team on fourth and 40 on the 50-yard line throwing a Hail Mary in the end zone. Well, I, think they're, I think we also need to say that they're down. They've got two minutes left, and they're down 70. 
it's a, yeah, it's because, a, well, okay, he's, well, he's been, you know, he's been suggesting, and this is kind of off topic for what we've been on, but we can always shuffle this around. Right, yeah. He's been talking about doing this for months. He, you know, after he got his first tax cut, he started hinting at this one. And yeah. I don't, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a time for a payroll tax. There's a theoretical time for a payroll tax cut. And I'm not, I'm not, you know me, I want to increase receipts. I actually think that not empirically across the board, but I think that we need to create a few more brackets on the top end of the U.S. tax this, code the, to tax this, people a little in this more. Day, in this day and age, I also sure. think we need to get rid of okay. the Social Security Whatever. cap. That's, but that, that's a Social Security issue, so we can talk about that on Social Security Day. But the issue as I see it with the payroll tax cut is doing it as things are spiraling down seems like a bad idea. So did so this is this is my problem against the with the rate what cut. What is this like like another like the fiscal and monetary arm working well, together? It, it's it's like they've decided that they're gonna. So the rate cut we had that we discussed last week, at great detail. I think it was premature. I would want to see that. In, I would have wanted to see that in maybe June or July. Rate cuts have a great expansionary power and a great slowing power of they have a slow, a power an ability to slow loss and help accelerate growth at the right time. Yes, but but this the thing about this rate cut because we talked about this earlier yes, and I really, and I really want to talk about it again with the, when the mics are hot. We talked about we, we talked about how this rate cut along with the energy sector slowing down affecting the financials. Yes. Right? It did. It has. And and, and, it, and it will it will continue. It's going to continue to do so. I think because we're looking uh, you know, we didn't have when when the rate cut occurred, there was no pending liquidity issue anyway. Yes, I'm less convinced of that now, yeah. because because what I should say is it was true then. Now the situation has changed. We might be approaching a situation where maybe a month or two there are some liquidity issues. That would be something I, I I'd be more willing to entertain that rate cut and say that it would have been more properly placed in maybe at maybe the not the meeting that's about to happen in March. What next meeting? Okay, so is there a chance that the previous rate cut was kind of a, a preface to this? I don't think so. Down? I think it was. I think it was a knee jerk reaction, and you know, I think you're. It's essentially you've got. Um, okay, but the rate cuts happened like literally the day before we placed these sanctions on Russia. <sighs> You know, I, I don't know so, if that's. I don't know if that's actually. I don't, I don't know that to be okay, true. Well, but I'll take yeah. your word for well, it. I, I, well, I'm not. I'm not trying to start a conspiracy. I'm just saying. Like, if, it, if that were so, then I still don't believe it to be true because I don't. I don't think. I don't think that this particular administration is is that competent. <laughs> that's a personal belief, and I'm sorry for people that, that would disagree okay, with that. Well, it would suggest. It would suggest. It would enough. suggest the Federal Reserve, a non-government entity, behaving in a way so in lockstep with foreign policy as to say that I would then require every single member, every single one of the presidents and the chairman to be removed from office, to be immediately impeached and replaced with impartial people and replaced by their assistants, essentially. Because that's because that's not that's not yeah. the purpose of the Federal Reserve yeah, is, exactly. to, is to and enforce foreign policy or to help counteract that. It's to, it's to internally look at the U.S. economy in a long yeah, and run. And not to mention, I think these rate cuts they're going to hit the financials pretty hard. Well, yeah, because you have to take into account the rate cuts on future activity. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there's the logic that, you know, the more you borrow, like, it's literally the supply and demand of anything. It's it's the more transactions and lower margins, but higher overall dollar amount profit mm-hmm. versus fewer transactions, higher percentage profit. Selling three for $2 versus two for $3. Right, yeah, exactly. So there's that logic in which... Yeah, these lower interest rates could help the bank's profit in that sense, in which yeah, you know, the because, price, because the because price of money is cheaper. Yeah, borrowing's cheaper. Yeah, it's right, cheaper yeah. to borrow. But with the coronavirus, there's going to be a spending contraction. Of course, because like I think I asked you earlier, why do people borrow money to spend money? Because they want to buy, because to spend it on something. Yes. And right now, I think the big issue is, is that people 
people are spending, there's always that certain amount of consumption, food, water, yeah, right. soap, <laughs> pure Purell, you know, that kind of thing. Too. But it's not the kind of major investment spending, cars. Well, cars are technically a, a durable good consumption. Well, yeah. But the, people aren't buying houses. They're not building new buildings. They're not yeah, but, expanding like that. But so that's, anymore, But anymore, people aren't spending money. And the majority of the businesses that big banks do business with businesses. are not people. Like, do you have a Goldman Sachs account? I don't. Exactly. Does anybody? Well, I mean, not, now they started Marcus for whatever that is. Well, yeah, there's people you with know. the Apple card. So I guess, are they technically Goldman Sachs customers or are they Apple customers? Okay, yeah, so exactly. So like no one, ha- like. I, no, I, I, don't, I, I don't have, I don't have any, I, I don't do business on a daily basis, nor do I have investments with any investment banks. Right, yes. Yeah, so think about any, anybody in your, no, in your I, network the, web. Well, I mean, I, my, right. I have family members that do. Okay, fair enough. Okay. But then again, that's because they're boomers and a few of them are retired. So yeah, or, they, or someone works for a company that does business with Goldman Sachs, sure. whatever. But, but no, on but, a day-to-day but, but, basis, but, but, I have no. Right, exactly. With so, that. like, most of Goldman Sachs, most most of who they do business with are other giant businesses, especially oil companies. Well, a yeah, lot certainly. Of oil companies. Oil companies are, you know, the energy sector specifically is one of the underpinning powers of the S P five hundred and of industrial power in the oh United God, States. Oh my God! Yeah. So we're back to oil. We're back to this. It's the it. Like I said, I said earlier, it was the lifeblood, and it it is. If oil dries up. The only thing that could affect markets more than oil drying up be if credit dried up. Because the credit market is the nervous system of the yeah. American economy specifically. Wait, what we're seeing here is I mean, I don't want to say credit is drying up, but it's it's we're we're certainly it's falling, bro. we're certainly running into a point where people are trying to solve an issue an actual industrial issue, a supply issue, as well as a demand issue, with credit. And credit's, you know, very useful. I mean, yeah, but, okay, so, I, in lack of credit can be even more damaging. Uh, it's more damaging well, than, than anything else. But well, the problem is, even with better credit, what you need to buy isn't available. Or worse than that, it would seem in this case for oil, it's too available. You don't need the credit to do it. It's just there. They're giving it away. Okay, so are these oil companies going to, like, take advantage of these low interest rates and try and, find, like, sell these bonds? Try to refinance their debt? Yeah, because, like, I, dude, I saw this thing. I don't know how it correlates with oil companies, but people that are, like, refinancing their mortgages or anything. They're yeah, all it's a great getting, time to do it. Yeah, they're all they're, they're all getting lower rates. Always, yeah, now's a perfect time to refinance your yeah, debt if you've got it. Everybody's getting lower rates, but... It's, it's going to take a hit on the financial sector. I don't know. So the, the problem is that it's it's script. It's commercial paper. It's it's bonds. These aren't loans that can be repackaged. Like so that's why I said you have to you have to issue new bonds. But the way junk bonds work is they have very high interest rates. Yeah, so, but, but they're yeah. But if the oil companies issue new bonds, it's essentially their way of refinancing their old debt. Yes, because they're going to take that cash partially to, to, to service partially. To service I, debt. I mean, they're going to do do something as far as supply chain refinement, but they're. Yes, they're, they're going to have to service the debt. Yeah, right. That's what, that's what I was suggesting the whole time is that they is that they reissue bonds. They they reissue five year bonds with the expectation that this isn't sustainable, and then they they try and buy back they buy back the old bonds as quickly as they can, especially all the ones in the market, to, yeah. to at least make it more manageable. It's also possible, I suppose, that as like I said, the, under the national security argument, which is very spurious. You could argue that, in theory, you could make it so that if the government is going to be consuming the fuel, it has to be produced in America. But produced in America is very simple. You can't prove supply chain from A to B because oil is oil. I can't prove oil in the end. You can't even prove gasoline in the end. Which is why, if you look at, if you take a look at like the the gasoline industry, like the the major um, gas stations, the fuels, so Exxon, the rest of them, the product 
after refinement, the oil that goes in, the product that comes out, they don't know who's who. They provide it to the refiner. The refinery, they provide so many gallons, they, they know that the refinement is a thousand gallons become, of oil becomes 450 gallons of gas. I don't know. That, that's just me right, that's, pulling numbers out of my ass. Yeah. But then at the end, what it boils down to is Exxon and Mobil and all the rest of them. Texaco, if that still exists, I don't they know. They do. Uh, okay, it's not here. 7-Eleven, all of that. The way they differentiate the gasoline from each other in the end is with the fuel additives. That's it. Because otherwise, the product is indistinguishable. You know, Basically, you, the world's coming to an end. <laughs> it might be a stretch. Here, I'm the optimist. I'm surprised by that, actually. Uh, oh, I, mean, I think it's, it's, I think it's a more, there's interesting times, and if you're in a position to make money, you can theoretically do that very easily now. Well, ulti- ultimately, uh, what's really happening is Russia is putting their foot on the necks of all the American oil companies. They haven't necessarily put it on their, on, their, on their throats yet. They've made clear that they really? can. Wow, okay. I think they have, but no, because the companies are, the companies can still breathe. If on April first there's no deal, then yes. Okay, and so that's that's the milestone. So, yeah, and we were as we were talking before we went hot, and um, I said this is maybe if you're trying to hurt someone, which I kind of assume the Russians are. This is this is going way too early. But you said no, this is the perfect time to do it. And, and as I thought about it, I think you're right. This is absolutely this perfect is, time this for is Russia the, to show this is, their, their hand. This is the shot across the bow. This is very much the. We're aware of the weakness you have. We're aware, we're aware it's coming. We're willing to wait it out. What will you give us? Because you don't just hurt someone because you can. You know, war is, Clausewitz said, uh, war is a continuation of politics by other means. But it's yeah. always to a, an end goal. There's always a goal. Mm-hmm. You don't just do something because you can. You do it because you want something. Is Russia essentially saying, here's my hand. I'll fold if you lift the sanctions. I don't know if they'd go that cheaply. And get, and do something else, right? Yeah. They want, they'll dance see. Dance a little bit. Here's the dollar yeah, over your head. I'll little, dance yeah. a little bit. Yeah, come on. Dance, monkey, dance. Yeah. That's very much what this could be. You what know, that dance is, we don't if, know if yet. We, if we look at, I don't want to say like Russian behavior, because that's not the way I want to phrase it. But if we look at the way Russian statecraft works, yeah. Or any statecraft, really. So any statecraft should involve never paying more for something than you have to. Any good business. Okay. Never pay more yes. for something that you have to and never sell anything cheaper than you need to. Okay, well, when Get you the say, most you can, always. Yeah, well, when you say it like that, it makes a lot more sense. Jeez. Hey, sense, got it. Yeah. Russia certainly has it, that's for sure. Well, but, but, it's, but you're saying if they had pulled this move in October. Uh, it, uh, can you imagine if we're mid-October? So U.S. elections, the first Tuesday following the first Nove- uh, the first Monday in November, every two years for national elections, every four years for presidential. Could you imagine? It wouldn't even have to wait till then. It could have been in July. July would have been great. If yeah. they'd been able to create. For Russia, great for Russia. Well, yeah, absolutely devastating. For the incumbent, yeah. if you so, so think about two thousand eight, John McCain and Barack Obama are neck and neck until the a Republican in, guy no, holding office. We have a Republican president in office, and even the Republican who's voting to who's running to um, to take office after him is running against him. They're both running against George W. Bush, and John McCain's ahead in the polls until we have Deepwater Horizon oil spill. And the Deepwater Horizon oil spill happens. We have an economic collapse meltdown. We have an economic meltdown and the Deepwater Horizon all kind of happens at once, if you yeah. really think about it. Well, if, the world's going to end because of this, but whatever. Well, the world's going to end eventually, no matter what. So <laughs> it's, all, it's all on a scale of time. No, if we, if we look at that, if the market doesn't melt down during that election cycle, especially during the election cycle when the incumbent is leaving no matter what, when we have two people vying for the office, Barack Obama probably doesn't become president. Really, he was running on. I was seventeen years old in two thousand eight. I would have. So. Let's see. I would have been. No, I was, see, sorry, I was fourteen years old in two thousand eight. So I didn't pay attention to politics. I would have been. 
2021 by the election. So you're still you were kind of paying attention. I was definitely paying attention. I was voting. It was, it was that was going to be my first. Oh yeah, that's, that's my first guess. presidential election. Yeah. Three guesses if you've listened to the previous four episodes who I voted for. I didn't. I didn't vote my first election, and the reason why I didn't vote was because I didn't know anything. And I feel like when you don't know I anything, I can respect that. I feel like when you don't know anything, I'd rather sh- I'd rather low voter turnout and everyone who votes is ed- well. That's not entirely true. I'd rather everyone voted and everyone was educated on the issues. Exactly. Personally, you know, I, <laughs> but, I, well, but I, I, dude, I just you know, I, is, idealism maybe. This is me personally. I hate. I don't want to say I hate. I strongly dislike everybody that's saying go vote. I, I hate that. I think message. you should. I think I think you should research and go vote well, just, for the person who represents what you stand for, what you need the most, who represents I, I, you. There you go. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, go get educated. I don't care who you vote for. I mean, I know I care who you vote for, obviously, because I have my political opinions. But it's like, don't just go cast your vote. Do your research. Yeah. You no know? matter who you vote for. So I'm not saying it doesn't matter who you vote for. No matter who you vote for, vote not just with conscience, but also with research. Yeah, and don't listen to and don't ignore your down ballots too. That's this is a fun right, one. Yeah, and but but also don't just don't just take the media's word for it. No, absolutely like literally not. Go go to their website. Go to whoever candidate you feel like supporting. Go to the website. Read their policy positions because those are because yeah, those are more telling than than the snippet speech the news is going to give you. This is another thing about Barack Obama in two thousand eight. He put all his speeches, everything he ever said was on YouTube. You could see him unadulterated saying and articulating his positions without that, without the sudden cutoff and without the talking heads telling well, okay, you what he yeah, said. There you go, yeah. So it was, it was very much, huge. he went straight, he went straight to the voter and that was, it was very intelligent. Okay. Well, so if you want to hear my theory on this, sure. so Russia decides they want to show their hand and they say, correct, our old production, our old dependency is strong. They never it. had dependency, so that's exactly exactly. So as I'm saying, we never needed you guys. Like okay. screw OPEC, screw the U.S. oil production. We don't need you guys. And in a time in which the U.S. economy is really exposed to the coronavirus, Russia is like, okay, you slapped a sanction on us. Come while they're down. It's, yeah, you it's, slapped, it's Yes, we want to make you pay for that because we didn't like that very much. So we're gonna show you our hand. We're gonna make all of your energy production company, all, all of your energy companies hurt for this, and because all your energy companies are hurt for this, so tit for tat, you hurt ours, we'll hurt yours. Yeah, exactly. So because all of your energy companies are hurt for this, your financials will also be hurt by this. Okay. And now we'll see this giant slowdown in your economy. Obviously, this is this is making it sound like it's it's really organized, but I'm just trying to connect mm-hmm. dots here. Absolutely. Uh, that's what we do here. Is this drunk economical? Is this drunk economical for Russia? Bam. I think it bam, is. Bam, energy goes down. Bam, Industrials with it. Industrials, financials, everything goes down. Huh? Everybody's panicking. And, and you do it going into an election. You do you start it. with the last one with comp. With, there you with, go. Okay. You do, like it going, it. you do it going to, into the election. And right now, I think it's the perfect time because the Democrats are still trying to find their candidate. And I'm not trying to get political here, but the Democrats are still trying to find their candidate. Whoever it becomes, they can say, look, the last four years, the markets were inflated because of Trump's whatever he was doing, of his tax policy, his monetary policy. They can say the markets were inflated, even though the economy was technically doing very well in the last but the four market, years. We've talked about this before. The markets and the economy are correlated, but well, they, they're causated, but they aren't always correlated. Exactly. So the, the economy has been good. Has been very has good. Been very good for the last four years. Last 11 years. Don't say four. Right. Okay, last 11. Okay, last 11 years. The economy has been, been doing very well. The markets have been doing extremely well, especially for the last three years, up until two months ago. The markets well, have been doing, we, that's not well, entirely fair. During the government shutdown two years ago, the markets 
down around where they are now. So really, we've gone okay, back. Okay, and- okay, okay, okay. So their markets have been doing well, but they've been very volatile. Let's say that. Yes, they've okay. not been stable. They've been doing well, but they've been very volatile. I would agree with that. Okay, and that was one of Trump's talking points: was look, look at the markets; they're they're, they're amazing. And it's certainly what he's running for re-election. Yeah. And then here, here comes Putin saying, "Hey, this sanction from you, Donald Trump, didn't feel very good. So now I'm going to do this to you, and we'll see what happens." Whoever the Democrats unite behind, which unite is a strong word. Very. So whoever that person is, they can say, look, here, here was Trump. Here's what he said. And this happened. You know, part of me. Like, looks how, are we, how are we going to how are we going to resolve this diplomacy issue with Russia? You know, and, and for me, it's always kind of very interesting when you watch the when you watch the two parties, you know, and this is going to sound condescending and um, I apologize. But if you look at the Republican Party really good at getting a message out. I don't think they genuinely believe it most of the time. Wow. But they are really good at unifying. To, I'm not going to lie. To pass laws and put like out a message. Way around. I feel like the Democrats, I would, I, I, I like the Democrats no, are so good at No, the Democrats, I, the Democrats, let's put it this way. The An Democrat, identity and a message are different things. But Oh, hang on. Here's what I mean. The Democrats under Barack Obama at the very beginning had a supermajority in, they had supermajority. They didn't need the Republicans. They could have crammed health care down their throats. They didn't. The Democrats were unable to legislate with a supermajority. It's unbel- it's almost un- it's almost stunningly incompetent. Yeah. That they were unable to put through what they wanted. And the reason is is because they can unify against an external threat, but when it comes to actually putting the thing together, it's a it's a bunch of people who are either very intelligent or who think they're very intelligent. There you go. And That's- then these people disagree amongst themselves on minutia. And it's in, I think, in those breaks that the Republicans tend to make more ground. But what I mean is, so in the vote terms, you get a message and get legislation passed. The Republicans are very good. Uh, Democrats don't okay, have so that kind of like unity. The, you're saying like the House Republicans and the House Democrats. I mean, I, the Senate as well. Okay, House and Senate. Yes, that's what so I mean. So Congress. I thought you were talking no, 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 about no, no, no. populists. I, I, do mean, I do mean the elected representatives. Okay, I can agree um, with you on that, 100%. The Democrats can't do that or won't do that. I don't know which, which is probably concerning. Probably, I mean, it is. <laughs> but what it, what happens is, in order to do that, I think the Republicans will say what's expedient with the expectation that the end result is beneficial for their electorate and and hopefully also the citizens, but mainly their electorate, I would imagine. But what, but a but a, a Republican would sit would would sit down at a town hall in some part of South Dakota, some part of Oklahoma or Texas, with these guys from the shell fields getting laid off, and would just go, you know, it's those damned Russians. And it's, it's, you know, it's wrong. And it's, it's, you know, we want to support you. We want to do it. But, but at the same token, you put a Democrat in the same situation. And some Democrat, not all, but the kind that, like, the, the kind that everyone kind of thinks about would kind of sit there and go like, well, it's just market forces. You know, in the, in the, in the calm, dismissive way that I say it's market forces. Mm-hmm. The difference being that in that situation, you go, yeah, it is terrible. This is a boom and bust industry. People make a lot of money off of these boom and bust, off the volatility. Yeah. And... You, you know, you come into these very boom-bust industries, these, this volatility with a finite time, and they go, look, you're you're on the clock. You know, it's like the NFL draft. You're on the clock. I mean, it's done. It's done. Yeah, so speaking of being done, we've been talking forever, so we need to wrap up. We soon. have been. So I want to end every episode with kind of like an outlook. On where things be- are? Yeah, on where, one, where things are, but two, like what could potentially happen okay. from what is currently going on. All right, So so generally speaking, we're talking on a Friday then. Today we're talking on a Monday night. It's technically a Tuesday morning now. Yes. Uh, Central time. Teachers have already gone up. That's how you know it's yeah, Tuesday weird. morning. Because you know what they say, Tuesday is usually worse. 
But <laughs> hangover hurts on Tuesday too. Oh, buddy, ain't that the truth? Um, so when you guys listen to us on Wednesdays, just remember we're talking a few days in the past. So when we're making predictions about the week, it's the week you're currently in and basically on the hump day of. Yeah. Uh, unless you're down in Oz, in which case you're on the tail end and good on you, mate. Good on you, mate. I love that we have an Aussie following. I do too. I wish we had a few Kiwis across the hop, but you know what? I'll see what I can do with family. But hey, look, the point is we've reached. We, the point is we've reached a thousand downloads in less than three weeks. Or We're in pretty about, impressed in about by that, guys. Weeks. So thank you for your support. Obviously. Yeah, seriously, like I, I really appreciate you guys' support. As this do is, I. This has grown so much faster than, than either I, of us had anticipated. I, I thought it would take me like six months to get. I thought we at this point would have like maybe eight or nine people who were consistently downloading. Two of them would be us. Yeah, and the thing <laughs> and is, I'll, like, I'll tell you guys, if, if, I haven't downloaded a single episode. I've only streamed. Yeah, so I, I haven't downloaded an episode as well. Like I've been listening to them all because, well, of course. Well, you're our you're our editor in chief. Okay. Well, when you say it like that, it makes it sound a lot better than and much more glamorous than it actually is. I know it's terrible, but, but I'm glad you're doing it, not me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's it, the thing is, like, what people don't realize is, so James here is. Uh, economics, math, and finance guy. I was a which, broad- is a which is a classy way of saying I'm an accountant. Yes, he's he's an account, he's an accounting guy. Exactly. He he knows this field much better than I do. I was a broadcasting major in my undergrad, and he's the editor. Yeah. So this audio production stuff is more geared towards my field of expertise. And I'm not going to lie. I enjoy doing it. I'm glad you do because I don't think I would. Yeah, I enjoy – but it's not so much like I enjoy editing itself. I enjoy being finished with editing so much. When I do something cool in the editing booth, I'm like, dude, guys, I did that. But no one really knows because they just hear the final product. It's okay. I know. It's a, it's, it's a thankless job, like bartending. Thank you, Aaron. You're welcome. Wow, I got a thank you from somebody. But the, the, the growth in this podcast is, I'm, I'm seriously humbled by it. I'm having a great time. Tell your yeah. friends, tell your wife. Have her download too. If you guys, yeah, if you guys love this podcast, seriously, like tell someone about it because I would love nothing more than to have this become the thing that I actually do for a living. I'm like freaking, I'm graduating soon. And I'm like freaking <laughs> yeah. out about direction. I'm, gonna, I'm freaking out about what I'm going to be doing for a living after it's this. It's all right. I've got a year and... And I think I know what I want to do, but if this if this becomes a thing, I'm more than willing to do it. Yeah, I'm happy so, to I'm happy to do this and and put doctoral work. Yeah, and I'm worried. Off. Yeah, and I'm like seriously kind of worried about like being deported all the way back to my homeland of Arizona. Jesus, I could never allow you to be in Scott's Bluff, Scottsdale, you idiot. Yeah, whatever. Iowa's worse. That's true. Oh my god. And I stand by that Iowa. Yeah. You heard me. Go yes, big red. Go big red. Anyways, uh, the outlook on this week. I, I think I think we talked about it earlier. I think it's I think it's going to be swinging volume in both. Obviously, the, I mean the VIX is VIX closed at what 54, 52? 52, I believe. Sorry, I just took a big chug of beer. Let's uh, VIX is at fifty four and a half. Okay, so fifty four. Okay, you took the. You think it's going to be up? I think I think you're right. I think I think two, this is going to be interesting. I think Tuesday will. I know. I'll say I'll say dead cat bounce. I think we see an open high, and I think we see the sell-off continue into Tuesday. If we don't see it Tuesday, we'll definitely see it Wednesday. I don't think we've hit the bottom of this. And the, and the only reason I say that is because tourism industry is shot. So 
That's hotels, rental cars. Yeah, but that, all that spills over into other sectors. Absolutely. It does. So, like, but but even cheap gas, people if people aren't willing... Into, it spills over into entertainment. It spills over yep. into everything. Like, no, absolutely. So, so airlines, cruise, uh, airlines, cruise ships, theme parks, Florida and California are going to be in a very... Wind resorts, hotels, everything. All of it. Exactly what I mean. Like, it's all down. Even restaurants. It's, it, this is not good. As bartenders, this is very concerning. Thankfully, we're in Nebraska... Which, I mean, one, yeah, one case in Omaha. But what I mean more than that is the economy here is based around agriculture. People got to eat. Yeah, so, so our economy is fine. But so the, the economy is, but, here is for the most part insulated. But the, tra- the travel coming into Nebraska and, yeah. com- and people coming in to drink at well, our it's bar. Not, it's not football season yet. So, I mean, we'll see. But. Well, we'll report to you back in the next episode to let you know if we're right and wrong. In the meantime, we've been talking for way too long. So That's true. One more thing I really want to say is... Cheers. Stay drunk and my friends. <laughs>